I'm Roger Rosenblatt, and this is Word for Word. Snow on a Beach On a weekend for which a light dusting was forecast, a good four inches fell on my village of Quag. They wouldn't call four inches snow in a place like Butte or Fargo. But on the southern shore of eastern Long Island, the amount is impressive. It makes a sudden New England of an area that, in fact, was settled before most of New England in the mid-17th century. The steep roofs of the New England-like houses are lathered with snow, and surprisingly tall pines are shagged with ice, the way they get in Vermont. The main difference is the beach. There is snow on the beach. I walk there on a Sunday morning. The snow draws a wide lateral strip at the top, and where it stops, the sand, brown and wet, continues to the lip of the ocean. I suppose the tide washing ashore made that portion of the sand too warm and moist to sustain the covering of the snow. So half the beach is snow, and the other half sand. Sights like this are jarring to the senses, yet they make sense to artists because our experience tells us that certain things, both in and out of nature, do not belong together. Merritt Oppenheim's fur-covered cup, saucer, and spoon is always upsetting, no matter how often one looks at it, because we tend to keep certain textures and functions segregated in our minds. Snow on a beach is not upsetting in the same way, but it startles the imagination. Where a child built a castle in the sand, he might make a snow fort in winter. My mind drifts in this direction, because no matter that I know there is no reason for bringing the snow and the sand together in an intelligible whole, still, one is always trying to connect disparate things. How should one drink tea out of an animal? What can I make of snow on a beach? Students of my generation were taught that E.M. Foster's dictum, Only Connect, is a prescription for the moral life. It was assumed that making connections was a sign of the mind's worth and purpose. Only connect. Things fall apart. These fragments I have shored against my ruins. Perhaps this effort to bridge and yoke was a consequence of growing up under the persistent threat of disintegration from nuclear craziness. Perhaps it was simply an invention of the academy in which exam questions insisted on making sense of this as related to that. We are naturally anti-anarchic, pro-union. Some years ago, I was watching the Academy Awards on one channel, staring at the shimmering people. And then I flipped to another channel where the news was showing some 80 dead bodies contained in body bags on the floor of an auditorium. They were the victims of the Happy Land Social Club fire in the Bronx. Flip, the Academy Awards. Flip, the dead of the Bronx. I wondered how these things fit together in the world. Would there be a movie made of the Happy Land fire? Would it win an Oscar? So I sympathize with people who seek to create a unity of thought and emotion out of disorder. But I also believe that trying to fit parts into a whole makes each component smaller, less interesting, and inauthentic. There is a life of parts as valid as the life of the whole. Simply noting is often enough. What right have I to give the universe a shape other than the one in which it presents itself without comment? The world steps forward as Dennis Rodman more often than as Grant Hill, bad as it wants to be, still loco after all these years. The sad truth is it's sad. 
is that no great story ever makes sense. Nothing important is to be understood, and no part fits. Homer was blind, Beethoven deaf, Blake's wife couldn't read, and Hamlet makes no sense at all. Not a word.